Welcome to The Black Athlete, a podcast where we put the past into the present of black sports. I'm Lewis Moore. I'm Derek White. We're sports historians here to give you the historical context for contemporary black athletes. And welcome back to The Black Athlete. I'm Lewis Moore, author of I Fight for a Living and We Will Win the Day. I'm Derek White, author of The Challenge of Blackness and Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Jake Gaither, Florida A&M, and the History of Black College Football. What's good, Lou? How you been? Man, been all right. School ended last week, and I just started summer school. I always tell myself I'm not going to do it, but here I am. <laughs> yeah, well. What's, what's know, been good with you? I, man, we are still in – we we had the best day uh, weather-wise in uh, upper New England in a while, quite a while, so it was exciting today. Everybody outside. Um, but there's another month, still a month of school. We're on quarters, so just grind it to the end. So I got a question for you. I I got a question for huh. you. Did yes. you see the Kentucky Derby this weekend? Oh man, I did not. I've watched them maybe ooh twenty straight years. Lost a lot of money on them, especially when I lived in Cali. We would head up to um, Lake Tahoe and just blow all the money that we have, and then. Come back just pissed. Um, but I did not. It's like one of the few ones I've never, I haven't seen in a long time. Uh, but I read about the controversy and I, and I saw uh, the, the guy who lives in the White House tweet something crazy about it. Uh, but but I know you're a Kentucky guy. Uh, you're a bourbon guy. You're a Kentucky guy. So I, I know for sure you watch. So what do you think? Well, I mean, it was inter- it was a good race, uh, but it was a DQ for those who didn't who do not follow the Kentucky Derby. Uh, with maximum maximum security was uh, the winner, uh, but was disqualified because he came out of his uh, lane more or less and 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 almost clipped another horse, um, which caused the second place person to pull up a little bit. Um, it it wasn't really as you know the second place person was uh, considerably far away from uh, the winner, uh, but uh, he was disqualified for the first time for something that happened on the track in the 145 years of the Kentucky Derby. So it was a kind of a big deal. People lost crazy money, um, but as they say at the track, hold on to your tickets until everything's official. Right, right. I saw that. And I know we we had talked about the Derby a little bit before. And maybe, oh, if you guys stay with us long enough until next year, maybe we'll be able to do something on black jockeys, right? Because um, we, we talked about that aspect of it. And there's a really good article uh, that came out, what, the day before the Derby on um, what an old black cemetery in Kentucky where there's a number of black jockeys buried. And, and I found that like very interesting. I'm like very interested in that type of history, right? These kind of old burial grounds. And um, so we're going to definitely have to come back to that subject. Yeah, I think it's a good time. You know, like we said, if we come back in a year, I think it'll be a good time for us to come back. But there's some great work already being done um, by our fellow historians on uh, black jockeys. Um, so, you know, the Derby was the big thing. Um, we're in the middle of the NBA playoffs. What you got? What's your thoughts, man? Yeah, literally we're in the middle of the NBA playoffs. We decided to start this one at the halftime of the, uh, Warriors Rockets game, uh, <laughs> and hopefully be done by the start of the fourth quarter, man. But it's look, it's shaping up to be great. Um, what? So the Bucks take a three, one lead. Uh, the East is looking tight. Um, and hopefully I just, 
you know what? I know you call me a hater. I just want to see the Warriors just get beat. Um, because I just want all that nastiness and all that gossip just to kind of bubble to the surface and deal with the whole summer of that. Like, where's Durant going? What's going on with Clay? What's going on with Draymond? Uh, I'm ready for like an NBA summer of just rumors um, and everything going on. So I, so I want them to get beat. Um, I'm still struggling as of last time to stay up late to watch these games. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm getting to the point where, where my body's getting ready. Yeah, I mean, you're a hater. That's what that is, right? Like you, you're 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 rooting against good basketball, but okay, that's fair enough. I mean, it's a good, it's it's an interesting playoffs, right? Like it's the first time in gosh, I mean, ten years or more since LeBron James has been not been in the playoffs. Um, I think that's part of it. I think uh, I think what's also very clear is that Kawhi Leonard might be um, in that conversation for the best player in the game. And if you're a Lakers fan, are you a Lakers fan? Cause you're a Cali guy, but are you a Lakers fan? I'm a, I'm a, a free agent. So I follow LeBron. Okay. Okay. So you're, so you're now you are a Laker fan. That's what you're telling me. Um, so it, yeah. And so if you're, if I'm the Lakers, I'm, I'm basically selling the farm to try to get Kawhi Leonard, um, and try to pair him with, uh, LeBron and, and I trade, I'm trading everybody, but LeBron, that's what I'm doing. Right. Uh, right. Like going all the way down to brass. Cause uh, Kawhi has been amazing for Toronto. Giannis has been amazing. He was amazing tonight. Um, and then KD is just, you know, the best score in the NBA. So it's been fantastic. I think we, you know, I think it when with LeBron, not actually in the field, I think fans who don't watch as much NBA as, as probably as, as I do, or we do uh, get a chance to see these really, really great players who have been, overshadowed in a way uh by uh lebron's uh greatness over the last decade and a half um but that's it. so we have you know the derby we got basketball it's also baseball season and lou last week you dropped an article on tim anderson and so for our listeners who don't follow you on twitter and uh, have not seen that wonderful article in the New York Daily News, I believe. Uh, give us a quick, you know, synopsis. Right. Uh, so I, I wrote a, a, an article about Tim Anderson. And really, I don't know if you caught it, like the historian me played a, around a little bit with history, right? This idea of freedom versus autonomy, kind of st- stuff that we learn as we go through grad school, where we're reading like kind of reconstruction stuff. Um, and so basically I wrote about how Tim Anderson, if you don't know, 25 year old shortstop for the Chicago White Sox, uh, black baseball player. Right. And and really um, a black baseball player in, in a way where where he wants to be unapologetically black. Right. And and so I kind of mm-hmm. I, I dig that. Um, and he's bat flipping and he gets like dusted off with a pitch and then um, for bat flipping and then charges the mound. And and to be honest with you, this is the moment where I discovered Tim Anderson. I started at the beginning of the year. I had seen some stuff on him bat flipping, but it was in that moment. And I instantly got back to this idea about Larry Doby. Um, in fact, I won't tell you who I texted, but I texted somebody. Uh, so very popular. I was like, look, I have this, this, this idea. I think there's a Larry Doby, uh, thing in it. What I mean by that is that Larry Doby in 1957, um, decked like knocked out uh, a white player from the Yankees and it's really the first time uh that a black player physically fought back with his fist um you know Jackie had started to talk trash after a couple years 
uh, being in the league. And, you know, Bill Brunton in 56 had, had charged him out, but then he stopped. But Dobie was the one who punched him. And that was a big deal to black press um, because of the way black players have been treated. They were just, you know, beanballs thrown at them. And beanballs get thrown at every baseball player, but it always seemed a little bit, have a little bit racial animosity to that. And I linked that moment with the Tim Anderson's moment, right? Where, and I said, essentially, Tim Anderson's fighting for autonomy. So, so what the black press would say when Dobie decked that player, um, that, you know, Dobie got emancipation for all black players, right? Cause finally you can fight back. Um, and Tim mm-hmm. Anderson, you know, if I'm doing the math about 60 years later is fighting for autonomy. And that is that idea. Like he, he just wants to be black. He wants to be himself. And for a young guy like that, where, you know, major league, and we'll talk about this later on, has struggled to embrace this. That means like, look, he's going to have like, you know, rap music or and specifically trap music on his Twitter account. He's going to talk trash. He's going to plug himself. Mm-hmm. He's going to flip his bat. And baseball struggles with that because baseball is an old man's game with all these weird traditions. And I think that's what Tim Anderson's fighting for, right? To change the culture of the game. And I think it means something that he's a black, a young, very young black player trying to do this at a time when Major League Baseball has is struggling to get young black players uh, attracted to the game and into the game. I mean, I think this is interesting. Like, you know, uh, you you talked to me a little bit about as this article was coming into fruition. And I laughed because I was like, yo, I don't, I mean, we talked about this on Twitter. We talked about this uh, uh, um, in our pre-prep. And I'm like, yo, I don't even know who this Tim Anderson is. I saw the bat flip. I saw the fight on ESPN, but I never had heard of him, even though he had been in the league for four years. And, you know, it got me thinking like, man, like, I don't really know any of the African-American players um, that are contemporary, you know, in this contemporary landscape. And I was like, man, and this took me like the entire last year to realize that Mookie Betts was African-American and was going to win the MVP. And I live in New England, right? So it tells me a lot that even though I'm watching Celtics games or I'm watching TNT or ESPN, I don't see Mookie Betts commercials. And I think this is what we're really getting at is that Tim Anderson is not only being unapologetically black, but the flip side of that is that Major League Baseball has not done a very good job of 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 embracing and allowing uh, their star African American players to to endorse uh, to gain the kind of endorsements uh, that really will let them shine on the open market and it got us thinking it got us thinking about nostalgia right because we were like well who's the last really great player and we were like Ken Griffey that was the guy right like that was the one who had that huge buzz but. The numbers, the truth of the matter, the numbers are abysmal, right? Like there are only like 68 African-American players uh, in the league this year, at the start of this year. And when Ken Griffey came in the league 30 years ago, there were twice that many. Uh, And so, you know, we've seen this rapid decline. And so as my kids are playing baseball, I'm like, well, who are they going to look up to? You know, who are they going to mimic their game after they, you know, um, and that's a real challenge and that's where we are. And I think this lack of endorsements um, and, and the lack of just promotion of these African-American players creates this problem in which black black baseball players, African-American baseball players in particular, are not getting the kind of support. And we see dwindling numbers uh, across Major League Baseball. Right. And and on that note, that Mookie Betts note, and, and one of the things that came out of that conversation is his teammate, David Price, who's 
who I, I can't tell you the numbers now, but it's probably a handful of black pitchers, starting pitchers in the league. So uh, Price and, and Art, Chris Archer for the Price, who, who again, like you, when I found out, you know, when he was with the Tampa Bay at that a couple of years ago that they had a black pitch, I was like, oh my gosh, right? Because this yeah, is right. something yeah. like baseball should capitalize on. And th- and I think they did that a little bit with Dontrell Willis and then that, that kind of fizzed out. Um but, you know, and then shout out to CeCe Sabathia, by the way, for uh, what having his 3,000 strikeouts. So, so um, you know, shout out to him. But David Price brought up this very good point that uh, MLB is doing a terrible job marketing someone like Mookie Betts, like young black stars. And if they're doing a terrible job with the, with marketing the MVP of the league, imagine, you know, <laughs> how bad they're doing with Tim Anderson, like somebody who should be the face of of that league and i like i get it trout's good and, and harper is good and you got oh god baseball people are gonna kill me you got the young kid in, in uh chicago cubs but when what we know is that black talent sells things like in america and and so you can have tim anderson the face of your game um but they don't do that and and this is not a new thing and and we'll talk about the history of this and as you mentioned before like the history of baseball combined with outside businesses is really to ignore black players, right? Um, so a lot of these great players, um, if we go back you know, to the beginning, don't get endorsements. And in fact, um, you know, as we prep for this, we were going over a number of articles, and one of them was uh, 1960, a sport magazine. So not Sports Illustrated, but Sport Magazine. Uh, they do this pretty cool thing where they have a roundtable of the um, – really popular black athletes at that time. Some, some old and, and some new. So you have uh, Jackie Robinson, Larry Doby, Althea Gibson, Sam Lacey, and Buddy Young. And they're just talking about what it means to be black in sports. And one of the things that comes up is endorsements. And and what they say at that moment is the black player can't get endorsements. And that's crazy to think because at that time you have a young Willie Mays in the game. You have a young Hank Aaron in the game, right? And those mm-hmm. guys can't get a sniff of that outside money. Yeah, there was one article they were talking about Bob Gibson, the great pitcher uh, for the St. Louis Cardinals, talking about after his fifth his fifth twenty win season. Um, one of the black press was noting how much endorsement money did he make in the off season, and he said three hundred dollars. That was it, right? Like that's amazing, right? Like, like how do we, you know? And so one of the things that's clear is that this is not a new problem, right? That the problem that that Mookie Betts is facing is one that has um, has plagued Major League Baseball. And I think, you know, and I think the, the sport article is very fair too, right? Like it's not necessarily Major League Baseball's responsibility to make sure that it's endorsements, but Major League Baseball does a good, you know, should do a better job of promoting its star players, right? And when you promote the star players, that will then lead them into getting the kinds of endorsements, right? And that's more so now, uh, in the contemporary moment than it was even back in the day where regional marketing, um, because baseball was such a regional sport and national. So, so the local newspapers, the local media markets and whatnot. And so I think that there's some of that. And and I think that it's, it, I was kind of shocked to see that we were just kind of spitballing. Like when we saw this uh, uh, David Price quote, like, yeah, they should do a better job about Mookie Betts. I'm like, I feel like this has happened before, right? Like, and we looked and it was like, like the only people who we could think of who had real significant endorsements were 
Willie Mays had a national commercial in the 60s. So when we were reading those stuff in the 60s, they, everybody was like, with the exception of Willie Mays, right? Um, in, the, in the 70s and early 80s, you had Reggie Jackson who had a who had a, uh, a, a bar, candy bar, uh, candy bar. <laughs> had a candy bar. Right. <laughs> um, right. and you know, Reggie Jackson had mad charisma. And so it was like some of that. Um, we found an article that Hank Aaron got a million dollars in endorsements, but only Hank Aaron after got a million. Passed, yeah. <laughs> only after he passed Babe Ruth. So like <laughs> the bar for getting a million dollar endorsements is that you have to be right. the, the, the greatest home run hitter of all time. <laughs> And so, and, and that was, yeah, yeah. I was going to say that's after 20, like, I can't do the math. It's almost after 20 years, right. Yeah, of getting yeah. nothing. Um, but the other thing too, and we, and we, and we were talking about this, um, is that they, they know this, right. There's, and it's not like, it's not, it's not held back, right. This is an not, this is out loud. They're talking about this from the get go from 1960. Like, when are we going to get an opportunity? When are we going to get an opportunity? The one thing that comes out that 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 strikes me interesting about that Reggie Jackson uh, article, it's from the same article if you listeners uh, are interested. Uh, I think Christian Science Monitor in 1977 did a, uh, a look at, you know, how black, far black players have to go. And, and they talked about endorsements. Uh, but one of the things Larry Doby says, um, you know, he, he's in the 1960 article, he's in the 77 article, is that, look, Reggie Jackson gets commercials because he's charismatic. But white guys just get commercials, right? Just because they're white and good, right? And he's saying the black guy who's not charismatic, who's just as good as Reggie Jackson, right, does not get anything at that time. So there had been some barriers broken in baseball. I would would say in football, it's OJ. But in baseball, you know, Hank, after again, beats Babe Ruth record. Reggie Jackson's because he's charismatic. But still, in 77, um, they're struggling to to get endorsements, and and want to back up real quick because I was pulling up that 1960 article. Uh, if you guys have a chance, or if anyone wants it, you can always send me a, an EM, uh, EM, a TM, or email. <laughs> That's a combination. I could I could send you the article. Um, but there's a very interesting question in that 60 article from Sport Magazine, where and, and it's it's uh, crazy to me, right? Because here we are talking about the lack of black players. There's 68 now. But here in 1960, the editor who's sitting down with all these players says, with so many Negro ball players in the big leagues now, especially on some clubs like the San Francisco Giants, do you foresee a time when there will be resentment expressed that they are taking over? Like here you are in 60 <laughs> thinking there might be too many black players. They're going to take over the game, right? That's right. where baseball was and i think part of what baseball didn't do was market that black player because one they don't want to upset that growing southern fan base so in 60 what's your southernness your most southern team if i say that correctly is your st louis cardinals right and we know that because we've seen that that movie that celebrates the fbi uh mississippi burning right um and there's this (laughs) interesting part in mississippi burning where he's listening to a st louis cardinals game right and i think okay there's there's something to it and that Cardinals team has a number of black players, but still it's, it's Mississippi and listening to that game. Um, but then baseball slowly getting to the South, right? So you'll get your Atlanta team. You'll eventually get teams in Texas. You'll get teams in Florida. Um, so, and, and baseball's pretty big minor league wise in the South. So you get the sense that they don't want to mess up that clientele, but because of that, I don't think they ever tapped into the black player when they had the opportunity and especially when they need it. And when I say when they had the opportunity, um, 
I think we can go to the 80s and talk about like how many black stars there were in the 80s. Um, and baseball had this real opportunity, right? Because basketball is on its come up. It's got MJ so uh, and Magic and Bird and it's coming up. And baseball, though, still has, I would say pound for pound, still has as much black stars as the NBA in the 80s, right? Yeah. Easy, right? And especially maybe not at the top, but definitely in the middle, right? Like you just had like so many great all stars. I think the '89 uh, All Star team had, I want to say, like uh, fifteen or sixteen all stars between the two teams, and that didn't even include Ken Griffey in '89, right? And so, right. like you know, I, and this is what we were laughing at earlier, right? Talking to one another, it's like, man, we grew up collecting baseball cards, right? Like I had, right. I have like my my nephew was at my uh parents' house uh, a few years ago and he's like, Uncle, I found all your baseball cards, right? Like and he's looking through it and my brother was like, You you really liked all those black players, huh? Because that's what's all, that was what I had that was what I had in my thing. Right. <laughs> and and you know, it's funny, but like we talked about this, like I can still name uh, you know, all these great baseball players, like what we think of as like the middle class of 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 black baseball players, like Willie McGee, um right. Kirby Puckett, Tim Raines, Vince Coleman, who's in my book on Blood, Sweat, and Tears, because he played football oh, at Florida. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Sh- shameless plug right there. Um, you know, we Eric Davis, um, Tony right. Gwynn. The great right? Eric like, Davis, yeah. This is not my bad. The great Eric Davis, right? Um, Otis Nixon, right? Like all these kinds of guys who were in the league, Daryl Strawberry, Dwight Gooden. Um, and we just, you know, it was a moment, right? Where there were so many black players who were all personality wise, like were, were, were stars, but they all, a lot of them were charismatic. And we just missed an opportunity to tell, um, you know, to for that to continue into the next generation, right? Like Griffey was expected to carry it, and in some ways he did, and in other ways, Major League Baseball uh, shut out everybody else. Right, and I think too when you get back to the A's when we we're growing up, some of those teams were they felt black, like those Cincinnati Reds team had like a racist owner, right? But they had <laughs> um, they had Eric Davis, they had Cal Daniels, they had um, Barry Larkin. Um, they had Billy Hatcher at one time. They had a black catcher um, who's escaping my name, right? Um, so you have this like, kind of nucleus of players who who are who are black, and there's something about the red uniform too attracts people to. I think um, same thing with with St. Louis Cardinals. Even though it's three guys like Ozzie Smith, uh, uh, McGee, and Coleman, it just felt black. Um, so you have you know you say you have these teams. We, we used to collect these cards, and, and in fact. Today, like, so we could talk about this. I went and bought a couple sets of cards. So I bought a 2019 sets of top cards. And and look, for 350, I got 21 cards, which is crazy. Um, and out of those 21 cards, I got three black players. And and you said there's 68 players, right? Then I bought an 87 set of of tops, right? And 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 but but think about the names I got in the 87. And then I also bought some 89 flares. But within there, you got your Dave Stewart's, your Kirby Puckett's, your Harold Baines's. Uh, you know, you got these guys, Vita Blue, who's probably by that time 100 years old, uh, <laughs> a young Kevin Mitchell on the Mets, right? So there's these yeah. there's these players um, that I think we are attracted to as kids and who were, were superstars in our minds. Uh, but still, baseball doesn't capitalize on that right and i think part of it to be fair is 
what's unfortunate about those players is is it's like some stuff happens, right? So you know, Daryl Strawberry and and Doc Gooden, there's demons, right, that they run into, right? And and I think yeah, maybe things look a little bit differently if you know they're not um, on drugs. Eric Davis, the the greatest player of all time, right? I'll just casually throw that out there, gets hurt like every time he steps onto the field. Um, and so some of these these guys who are supposed to carry the league um, get hurt, but at the same time, understanding the history, you know that the league doesn't really sell that as much as they should. And then you get Bo Jackson, the same thing. He, he gets hurt, mm-hmm. and so we're robbed of his great athleticism. And it's like Ken Griffey falls into their lap, and it's at a time when what? The NBA is is MJ Barkley. They got all the cool Nike commercials, and I feel like Ken Griffey competed with that, right? Um, yes. But baseball didn't do anything with that, right? If I'm not mistaken, I couldn't afford them, but Ken Griffey had some nice cross trainers, right? Yeah. No, he had a sneaker. He had a shoe deal, right? Yeah. Right. That's crazy. That is crazy. Like it's it's crazy. Yeah, uh, I mean, and thinking about like this, so so we were talking about how like Derek Jeter, for instance, has you know in the early two thousands, you know, the captain uh, in that New York market, but at the same time, like he was wearing you know Jordan brand cleats, right? So in some ways, right. like they, you know, in making that decision, which is a perfectly legitimate you know endorsement decision it also undermines baseball as a particular kind of sport right like they jeter doesn't have his own shoe i don't think um and we lose that that era because it's a jordan kind of thing so basketball still is the pre the way we think about it i also think that the other thing is that that what gets lost history you know for us to be honest about baseball that the game of baseball changes so much um, that in many ways devalues some of the things that black players were least um, valued for, right? Uh, and so as the league uh, in the 90s turns to the home run as a way to kind of pull itself out of the strike years uh, in the in the late 90s, the thing that gets lost is the stolen base, right? And so right. I, you know, as a person who's a kid who's growing up, who's like, I may not ever be able to hit, you know, home runs on a regular basis, but I feel like I was fast enough. And I really thought that stealing bases was kind of cool. Right. (laughs) Right. And, you know, and so you have these things where it's like last year, I just had to look this up last year uh, in 2018. What do you think the stolen base leader had? The leader. Oh my gosh. I stopped stealing base. I would say, I don't think he cracked 60. You're right. 45. Jeez. That's terrible. And right. so, like, and so, so take a guy like Vince Coleman who uh, comes into the league in 1985, right? right. Vince Coleman stole a hundred, his first three seasons, 110 bases, 107 bases, 109 bases, right? Like, it, when he's, when he's 32 years old in 1994, he stole 50 bases. <laughs> which would have led the league, <laughs> right? Like, Jeez. and so the game, like the game is so different in terms of, and so you could have guys like Tim Raines and Willie McGee and Vince Coleman who could, who could hit, you know, you know, basically hit like 260, but they could get on base with walks uh, and use their speed in the outfield and on the base pass. And as teams went away from that and they wanted Mark McGuire or Sammy Sosa, someone that could hit the ball long, you you really do um, 
you know, you really do see the value of certain players change. This is why Barry Bonds was so important because he was a guy who transitioned, you know, with, we could talk about the steroids thing, but like, but when he's hitting 40, 40, he's a guy who's transitioned. He's doing both of those things, stealing bases at a pretty good clip uh, when the stolen base leaders was in the eighties. And then you have him hitting home runs uh, in the high thirties. And then, then again in the forties, and that's what made him a kind of unusual and and really like an all-time great player. And that gets lost, right, in the way that the game has changed, where we really just want someone to hit 40 home runs. Um, your guy from the Yankees, who's six eight, who hits Man. home runs. Oh, Judge. Yeah. Yeah. Judge, right? Like they, right. They, they both judge and stand. Like we're gonna hit the ball a million miles, but we're also gonna strike out a lot. You know, and so that's that's the thing that people pay to see, right? They want to see the long ball. They don't want to see Vince Coleman steal second and third and score on a sacrifice fly. Um, and I think that game has really changed. Um, and I think that helped. And that explains why we don't see the black players, but it's also, it was a missed opportunity to really sell that kind of athleticism as part of the game. Right. And I think too, like real quick, we got to, maybe this is a whole show, like Aaron Judge and Stan, right? Because, I mean, I read an article on Judge maybe last year or two years ago in SI, and then he even mentioned the fact that he was black. And I'm like, oh, wait, what? And I'm like looking like, I had to look closely like, is I thought he, right? Um, and that's yeah. a whole other thing that they have to do. You have guys who are hitting like 50 bombs, and, and you got to be able to sell this. Um, but but when you're talking about stolen bases, it brings me back to the integration of the game, right? Once right. you get the black, the Negro Leagues playing game, that small ball comes into vogue, right? Because that's what they do, right? That kind of mm-hmm. uh, take that extra base still, you know, that cool Papa Bell who never gets his shot. But, you know, those guys, you know, are bringing that style of play into the game and you lose it. But it is starting to come back a little bit. Uh, so the Kansas City Royals, this year's Kansas City Royals team, is known for um, being fast, right? And and having guys uh, who who are speedsters, like a, like a Billy Hamilton, who's one of the uh, all-time you know, fastest guys out there. Um, and so it, it seems like in this right era of like hit the, hit the home run or strike out that perhaps, you know, Kansas city Royals are going to figure something out and maybe they'll start to put uh, premium on speed again. Um, but to get, I know, I know we're falling into stereotypes, but that's part of the game. That's, that's part of that Willie Mays Hayes game. Right. Uh, which is <laughs> sounded like how you described too. your, Scribe yourself, but to get that player, baseball is going to have to do a better job of, of not only marketing, you know, young guys like a Tim Anderson, um, you know, but also really investing in those heirs that they come from. So I know baseball has RBI and, and started mm-hmm. for the same thing, right? To in the early nineties to to invest in these communities, but it seems like they could do a, do a lot better job, right? Because Look, I know some people say that baseball is boring, but it's a game that everybody starts out playing. And it's not it's boring to watch when it's three hours long. But to play, uh, if you're on defense, you could be involved in the play at any time uh, when it's your turn to hit. You know, what I mean, it's really exciting, even though you only get up three to four times a game. So 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 it is exciting. And, and baseball just has to do a better job of, of tapping into some talent. Well, I think and before we wrap up, I, I want to say this, right? Like as a, I have my. Uh, my oldest son who's about who's eight is playing baseball for the first time this year. Right. And it's like, you want him to, you know, he's, he, you know, he, I'm into sports, so he watches sports. And it's like, what he does, he goes to the bat, 
he doesn't have it in his head like, oh, I want to hit this ball like Kirby Puckett or I want to hit it like Eric Davis, right? right. Like he's just, he just hitting the ball because that's what he's trying to do. But like when he shoots the basketball, he's like, oh, I made a shot like Steph Curry, right? Like in his head, like the that's the way right. he that's good right. Point. And I think that that's an important. So we're not just talking about marketing in terms of like, you know, these guys getting more money in addition to their kind of multi-million dollar salaries. What we're really talking about is how do you inspire a generation of players, uh, young African-Americans who to, to not only take up the game like they do, but to stay with the game. Right. And I think that's what gets lost. Right. That the number of kids who are leaving the game before high school or leaving the game before, uh, you know, before not even finishing little league, right. Not making it into the kind of the middle school, high school era, um, uh, you know, leagues, right. Babe Ruth leagues. These are the things that I think that are, um, gets lost. And this is what happens when you don't have players. You want your kid to be like, I want to flip that bat like Tim Anderson, or I want to wear my hat to the back like Ken Griffey. That's a style, man. That's what we used to do when we were in the backyard playing right. wiffle ball. We're playing little league or whatever. Uh, and I don't know how much of that's getting translated for this next generation. And if we don't have that kind of endorsement uh, and that kind of publicity for these young African-American players, what you're going to get is you're going to lose another generation. And so 68 will turn into 58, will turn into 48, and we're going to see under 50 African-American players uh, in Major League Baseball, which would be a shame. Right. And that's not, and all this conversation is not even considering the cost. And that's a whole nother conversation for, I think, a whole nother podcast down the line. Just how much it costs uh, to play the game in the era of specialization where everybody has a coach and everybody is a coach, right? Yeah. We're just talking about the basics that, that uh, baseball can do, um, right? To kind of encourage people to play this game. Um, so, right. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really worried about these numbers dwindling down um and part of it too like you said is that our kids might like my kid i have um two girls and a boy and we'll go out there we'll play baseball but it's not on on the tv um right and so they can't name a player but they can go out all three of them can say look i'm gonna shoot like steph curry let me do this step back here let me try to be like kind of james harding here and stuff like that um and i think that baseball has a real opportunity and somebody with like a Tim Anderson, right. With the bat mm -hmm. flip or just the way he plays the game with, with that type of enthusiasm, uh, where they can market it and, and then kind of bring up that game, um, in the way that it used to be. Exactly. And on that note, that wraps up our, uh, the latest episode of, uh, the black athlete, man. Thanks for talking with us and thanks for listening. Lou. Thanks again, brother. It's always fun. All right, man. Peace. Peace.